Welcome to Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage, the show that gives you a chance to hang with today's top contemporary jazz artists. I'm your host, Carl Brown. Welcome to today's show, everybody. I got to tell you, we have a real treat for you today. I could spend all the time we have today just listing this guest's accomplishments. Check this out. He has played on over 250 million records sold. That's right. I didn't stutter. He has played on over 150 gold or platinum albums. He has nearly 40 solo albums to his credit. He's been nominated for 19 Grammys, won the award four times so far. He has worked with artists like Joni Mitchell, Quincy Jones, Al Jarreau, Dolly Parton, Billy Joel, Jerry Garcia, Kirk Whalum, and so many, many more. And he has been an integral part of supergroups like Steely Dan, The Crusaders, and Foreplay. He first picked up a guitar at age six, did his first professional gig at a supper club in 1962, and has been making great music uh, ever since. He really is one of the most successful and prolific musicians of our lifetimes. And for my money, I would say one of the best guitar players to ever walk the planet. Please welcome to the show the legendary Mr. Larry Carlton. Larry, thank you for joining us today. Carl, pleasure. How are you, buddy? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. My, my first question for you has to be this question. Okay. With all the things that you've done in your career, do you sleep? I do. I sleep. <laughs> <laughs> of course I sleep. No, Carl. <laughs> Back in the 70s, when I first started my recording and studio work, man, I was only 22 years old. So of yeah. course, I was so young, go for it. And that's a good time to have all of the bad stuff. The bad age of doing all the sessions that yeah. I do there. And I refer to you as a guitarist, but I think that's so underselling what you do because truly, when you know, I, I watched, for example, I watched the the documentary about the making of Steely Dan's Asia. Yeah. And you were so much more than playing a guitar. I mean, you were, are the person who was really entrusted with creating so much of that music, right? So, like, even though we know you as a guitar player, like, you've really been the architect of so much music that so many of us have come to love. Well, yeah, when I was working at Steely Dan, uh, they asked me to do the arrangements, the chart, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the session. And I've always said that uh, really, I was the liaison between Donald Walter and Gary Katz, our producer, yeah. between them and those of us throughout in the studio. I don't take a lot of credit, but I do take some credit for just being able to help the guys get their music. Yeah, I mean, because that's a really important thing, though. I think that it's hard to understanding a vision and then putting that vision into action, like everybody can't do that. Yeah, well, my experience just allowed me those opportunities, and I was up for it. Yeah. So I got to believe, with all that you've done, there's probably aren't many households, probably in the world, that haven't experienced your music in some way, shape, or form. Maybe sometimes not even knowing that it was your music. Do you ever <laughs> sit back and think about just how much your work has touched the world? Uh, not not like that way you described it, but of course I'm aware of even walking through grocery stores validating some yeah. 50 years after the career started. I'll be in there with my daughter or something, you know, uh -huh. bug and stuff. She's 43 now, and we hang out a lot. And I'll say, oops, I'm on that record. She built nothing, nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> Does it ever get old hearing your music? Probably not, huh? 
No, man, I've been so fun. It's just the coolest career. And yeah, that's fantastic. So talk to us about how this journey started for you. I know you picked up the guitar at six, but what led you to do that? I was told by my parents that because there was an old acoustic guitar lying around the house at my grandmother's, my parents told me that at age four, I was just fascinated with that guitar. Okay. Yeah, so they, they said, when you're a big enough physically to open the car, you can take guitar lessons. Yeah. At age six, I started guitar lessons. I never looked back. Yeah. So all I've ever done, play the guitar and make music for one life. Okay. And was there ever any thought about doing anything else in your mind? Or is this like, nope, I, I, this is it. I'm going full steam ahead. This is my love. I'm sticking with it. Yeah, there was never any change of path, never any consideration. Yeah. The notoriety and successes I've had were never planned by yeah. me. I've each one over the years speaking with people about it. My dream and my team was to be like my jazz guitar heroes and play smoky clubs and play jazz. Yeah. Who were those guitar heroes for you, Larry? Yeah, this would be starting back, obviously, in the 50s and then into my teen years and the 60s. And Barney Kinnisall, obviously Joe Pass and Wes Montgomery, mm-hmm. huge influences on me. A couple of players that a lot of people now don't think about. Johnny Smith, beautiful dark player. So yeah, those were the early jazz influences but because of the era that I was growing up in the 50s and 60s, I was hearing pop music all the time also. Yeah, yeah. So all of those elements kind of blended together over the years to make what I guess it's my style. Yeah. How do you describe your style? <laughs> I'm a jazz and it's guitar player. Yeah. And it's so great because, I mean, when I started looking over your career and just thinking about all the artists that you've worked with or performed with i mean it's there's not a genre that you haven't touched yeah i mean gospel rock pop r&b like you've really done it all yeah it was a great time for me to kind of get into the studio work because there were a lot of opportunities to play those different genres because of the way the record industry was functioning back then Mm -hmm. they were taking chances on any kind of artists that they believed in they didn't pitch in over every artist to try to be a pop star, you know? Yeah, yeah. Having worked on so many projects, how do you choose, and being so active still today, how do you choose the projects that you want to lend your talent to? And for the back in the day, again, we're going to go back in the 70s and 80s when I was so busy in the studios. I wasn't particular at all. Okay. If a contractor called had a session for next month for Burt Bacharach, I would write it in my book. And then somebody else would call it pretty soon. I was doing 15, 17 sessions a week. Wow. And never really knowing where I walked in the studio before who the session would be for. Yeah. Uh, most of the time till I got there. Yeah. I got to believe, like, I have this thought in my mind that it takes, I think it's, I had to think it takes a different level of talent to be able to do what you just said, walk into 15 different sessions in a week and make it happen so that people keep calling you back. Because like, you're kind of walking in and you're learning new stuff. Like you got to be like 
really, really good to be able to do that. It's not like you're playing the same. It's like if you're in a band and you're playing the same stuff all the time, you're working on that stuff all the time. But I got to believe that being a session musician is like, that's on a different level of playing, I have to think. It really is, Carl. I had enough aptitude when I first started in the session world to do a great job. And then I was getting to work with some of the world's greatest musicians every day my yeah. career back then. So that just made me grow up and grow up and grow up. Every week I was playing with these great players and I was learning how to make records. Mm-hmm. What would you say was about the session part of your career? Because your career is so layered, so many different parts of your career. What would you say was the, the most challenging and the most enjoyable things about the session part of your career? Yeah, most challenging. I was always a good music reader, mm-hmm. but not a great music reader. Okay. And there were some challenges in my early career when I would show up for a motion picture made. Okay. And uh, the written parts for the movie were challenging for me mm-hmm. because I, I hadn't read music and read films very much. But I always got the job done. But those yeah. days, I don't sweat. I was sweating. So okay, <laughs> hard to imagine okay. now that the great Larry Carlton was one day was sweating some music at, <laughs> at, at a point in time. But understand that. <laughs> yeah. What about the most enjoyable part about your session work? I think, at least today, what comes to mind, Carl, it's the acceptance that I received for just playing my guitar the way I play it. I was never happy to imitate anybody. Yeah. Especially after the Crusaders record came out. Mm-hmm. People started to identify my style. And yeah. And other players, a lot of players started emulating that. It was very flattering. But that's been so rewarding just to, the majority of the time, play like Larry Carlton, the Mets, what they wanted me to do. Yeah. You mentioned the Crusaders, which that's one of my, my dad got and my brother got me into jazz and that was some of the first music that, that they shared with me that kind of helped me fall in love with this music. But one of the things that I thought about as I was thinking about your career is that, you know, we live in a world today, unfortunately, where we often don't see people just as people, right? And you have worked with so many different types of people. Like, what is it about your, your psyche, your makeup, how you were raised that allowed you to be able to connect with and work with so many different types of people. Yeah, so so I think you nailed it. It's it's an attitude. Mm -hmm. And I've often said this in my clinic, the young players, just remind them, being a great player is an all it takes. When I would go into my sessions, I was servant. Yeah. That's the way I viewed Bible. It was a song I wasn't particularly fond of that we were going to record. It was still my job to do very best job, and that's any judgment. Yeah. Be a servant to the producer, songwriter, and the artist. And I think that served me well. Yeah, clearly. Clearly it has. Well, let's play one of the songs that results in a Grammy for you. How about we listen to Minute by Minute? Cool. All right.
Everybody, that was today's guest, the great Larry Carlton, with his Grammy-winning Minute by Minute. So, of all the songs that you've made, and like there's, you've done remakes of lots of different songs, like, why'd you choose to remake this one? Minute by Minute? Yeah. That's <laughs> interesting, Carl. I was in the middle of doing a new album in 1987. And I was driving on the freeway out in L.A. and Minute by Minute came on like a newbie girl. Uh-huh. And I just had that quick thought of, that might be a cool song to do as an instrument. Okay. And then my next thought was, and if I could get my buddy Michael McDonald and play the keyboard on it. Oh, yeah. And it would really be stamped with a deal. Yeah. And I knew I wanted Kirk Whale to play sax on, and he's my favorite, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Honestly, it was just an idea, and I called the guy and said, can we let's templates, and we cut it, and then Kirk was so, you know, brilliant on it. I called a couple other buddies, Christopher Cross and David Back, same uh-huh. minute my minute parts, and then after that, people really enjoyed that version, and we won a great. Yeah, yeah, that's got to be pretty cool, pretty fun. So, do you have a specific process for how you make music is it organic for you or are there things that lead you to you know to be creative and to come up with song ideas i would say consistently my approach to making a new album let's say would be to pretty much book the album whether it's a month in advance six weeks in advance Mm -hmm. then i started writing songs Okay. I love having it. I love having that direction of, okay, got to get it done here. And the excitement grows and because we're doing it. I know a lot of other artists work different. They're constantly writing to them and they're off time. So when it's time to make a record, they have a backlog of songs that shoots from. Mm-hmm. But for me, I kind of enjoyed my process. Okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. And then I'd start getting the material. Yeah. Okay. I've watched several of your performances on video and things. I noticed something about you that I that seemed pretty consistent. It seems like you you seem so humble when you walk onto the stage. Like you you like here you are this guy who's accomplished all these things and you seem like just such a very humble and very approachable person. And but then when you begin to play, it's like you go into a different world. It reminded me of, quite frankly, a pastor that I used to, whose church I used to go to, where he was the most humble guy in the world. And then when he got into a pulpit on Sunday, it was just like everything was unleashed and it was just like this metamorphosis. So <laughs> that's how you come off. That's what I've seen when I looked at you on stage. What, is, that, is that how you really just are? I would have to say, Farrell. I can't know the years old phrases have come to me when asked certain kind of questions for as honest as I can be, I happen to be I happen to have a wonderful aptitude for music. Yeah. And we yeah. all understand that. Yep. But when I'm not or I've not made I'm just another guy out here trying to get this thing called Mike done. Yeah. And I'm just blessed that the guitar and the music have in my life but yeah, yeah when i'm not playing i just another guy yeah yeah i'm not surprised to hear that because i've always been a big proponent of what you talked about when you talked about going into those sessions and that was this mindset of being a servant right like i that's a hard thing to find in any career right it's particularly when someone is extremely accomplished right 
like, how do you continue to ground yourself in that? I know I, I try to be that way, but I know I'm not as successful as I'd like to be in that. How do you continue to ground yourself in that? Well, for me, it's just true. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to fight against it. I'm sure as I reflect back on my young life and to my mids, I'm sure there were some ego problems I had at certain times as part of growing up as a man. And hopefully we correct those as yeah. we become aware that we're being a jerk. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I'm not immune to all of the things, but hopefully where we end up isn't some kind of a better perspective, but being a little more humble, mm-hmm. survey, get out of Yeah. So what is it like for you when you're on stage and you're looking out at a crowd and you're seeing people just really, really getting into you doing what you do? Yeah, I am. I'm so thankful that especially after all of this year, I'm 75 this year. Mm-hmm. And when I walk out and on that stage, if I see the audience actually came to hear me play my guitar. Yeah. Still, after all these years, I get a little burst in my heart, a little smile in my heart. It's a man, like he died. Yeah. Still plays for those people. Yeah. Perspective is a great thing. That's fantastic. So, Larry, we have this game we like to play on each episode we call it bout it or doubt it okay so if you're about it it's something that you like if you doubt it it's something that you're not quite into can we can we twist your arm and get you to play of course all right let's do it i doubt it all right, so so Larry, we're going to spin the wheel and get you a category. Then we're going to ask you a couple of bouted or doubted questions, okay? Okay. Sure. All right. All right, Larry, your category today is fun and leisure, all right? Which is appropriate for a guy who happens to be on vacation right now, right? So hopefully you're getting into right. fun and leisure right now. So, all right, first question, okay. bouted or doubted, surfing. Doubt that. Doubt that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that was a pretty quick one. Have you? Is there an aversion to an aversion to the water, or uh, just well, not the surfing thing? Well, I was a body surfer in my teens in Los uh-huh. Angeles back in Southern California. Since then, I have very little interest in cold water. Although I am at the beach in Florida right now. Uh huh. Okay. 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 All right. All right. Yeah. Nothing I've ever, I'm in, I live in Wisconsin. I'm landlocked and it's like, well, we have Lake Michigan here, but it's nothing like that. I've never had much of an interest in, in that, but all right. One more. How about, about it or doubt it? How about skiing? Never skied in my life and don't prefer the cold weather. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Have you always been a California person? You grew up in California? Until Until about 25 years ago, I moved to the Nashville area. Okay. That's where my children relocated okay that is one of the coolest cities and i think i know a lot of people are hip to it now but that's been a cool city for a very long time as it yeah yeah i was there i took my family on vacation in nashville a couple couple years ago and we had such a wonderful time there so much to do and i tell you one of the most one of the funnest things i did there was they have this the new when we were there they had just opened the new museum of african-american music and I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but uh, yeah, yeah. we happened to go on our last day there. And I told my family that 
Had I known about that, I would have wanted to go there every single day. Just such a really, really cool museum and love that city. You live in a great town. You live in a great town. Yeah, yeah. You moved to Nashville to be closer to your family, huh? Is it your kids that you're closer, being closer to when moving there? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's good. So we're, we're all very... That's really cool. That's really cool. That's got to be a really cool thing. Like, do your kids, have your kids been involved in your career at all? And have they participated with you in your career at all? Or I have two children. Uh-huh. My daughter, Katie, should be 43 in January. And my son, Travis Carlton. And Katie's a wonderful medicalist. She's a wonderful mother. Okay. Tra- Travis, my son, he received a gift. Okay. He got the gift, Carl. Okay. Yeah, he's a bass player. Oh, cool. Right out of high school. Yeah, right out of high school, he moved back to Los Angeles and went to the Musician Institute and graduated. And since then, that's 20 some years ago now, he tours the world, plays in my band when I can get him. Okay. He's played in Robin Ford's band, played in Scott Henderson's band. Wow. And just this last year, he was invited. Me and the Steve Gadd band. Wow. Which is a big honor. Yeah. Steve played the greatest drummer ever. Yeah. They're very proud of Travis's career in straight. That's awesome. That's awesome. That'd be pretty fun too, though, when you get to have them in your band to be out on the road with your son and making it music is. together. That's got to be a blast. It's the best. It's the best. That's cool. That is really cool. So I'd love to learn about, I look at your career and I see these three stages of your career, obviously the studio days and then your time with these great bands, and then all the work you've done as a, in your solo career. So talk to me about the differences in being a member of the Crusaders versus Foreplay and doing all the work that you did with Steely Dan. Like, what were the differences in being in those different groups? Well, early on, they were the Crusaders, about late 1971. Mm-hmm. So I was just a sideman, started the recording together. Joe and I had got a session on a Friday night sample, mm-hmm. and that's the first time we had met. And that was Friday night, Monday morning, by Paul Murray, Crusaders Hoplitz, on eight, and I'll fight and come in and record with them for the next two weeks. Cool. So somehow Joe and I clicked musically. Yeah. I just got to know each other over the years. So I started out as a sideband Crusader, and it turned into 13 out on. A different situation. Just great. That's uh, 14 years old, sitting in my bedroom. I jammed along with Jazz Crusader records. Okay, okay. That's and to cool. meet Joe seven, eight years later and become part of that. A thrill. It really was. It yeah. Was a thrill. And what about the foreplay experience? What was that experience like? No, very obviously, very, very cool. Yeah. Three of the Barbie, Ray, and Bob. Three of the top musician ever in the world. Yeah. He invited to be part of it. Yeah, Lee right now was meeting a group and I was the one they chose to uh, come in and fulfill the guitar spot. And I was with them twelve years. Yeah. yeah. It's just 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 great. Yeah. It was that twelve years, that's some of my favorite music of <laughs> all time, I tell you. Like that I've been a big fan of yours for a long time and foreplay for a long time. But man, you guys made some wonderful, Thank wonderful you. music. And I agree. Yeah, we had Bob actually at our Fresh Coast Jazz Festival last year. And just the nicest guy. Got a chance to 
my wife and I and him and Sonny and Michael Palazzolo, his bass player, we got a chance to go have dinner one night cool. and just the coolest guy, most humble guy. And it's just, it's amazing to me, a lot like you, like just every man, like he was just so nice and so gracious to everybody uh-huh. and put on such a fantastic show. And it's so cool to see folks like that who who just who do what they do for the love of what they do when there's no pretense and things like that. We have so little of that in our world today. I agree. No. Yeah, that's cool. Well, let's play some more music. How about uh, this is one of my personal favorites of yours. How about we listen to Deep Into It? Oh, yeah. I like that one, too. Awesome. Awesome.
right, you just heard deep into it by today's guest, Larry Carlton. So for you, when you decided, Larry, to focus on your solo career, and I know there were kind of like, there were maybe some times where you were kind of doing some other things in between there, right? But what were you hoping, you you had already, you already, you've accomplished so much, like, are you trying to do something different with your solo music than the other things that you've done? Is there a different thing that you're chasing or trying to accomplish? That's interesting. But I did my first Warner Brothers album in 1979, and I was kind of burned out when all the studio work. So mm-hmm. I just started, yeah, I just started playing one line a week at a local jazz club in North Hollywood, just played the guitar. And I was cutting down on my session work. And one night, a, a producer from CBS Records was there, and I didn't know it. And he came up after much set and said, "You ever thought about making a solo album?" Mm-hmm. So he, the opportunity presented itself. What I'm saying, just by me playing the guitar. Yeah, and that's how my first one ever album came about. Okay, and I had a complete artistic freedom back in those days. So I could make and write any music I wanted to make and write. Yeah, I wanted brothers would release it, so that's how my solo career really got started. Because mm-hmm. all that freedom, and I was excited about playing the guitar with my own music. Yeah, 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 yeah. And your solo work is so diverse too. Like, I mean, it's like there's some of it is bluesy, some of it is more jazzy, some of it is soulful, some of it is funky. <laughs> like, like, is it just that? Is it just how you're feeling at a time when you're creating a record, or do you have this thing in your mind where, like, I want to do something like this and I want to do something like that? How does that? How does that come to be? I would have to say it's just on the spot instinct. Okay. When you hear a song and maybe somebody says, "Let's do an intro," well, at that moment, whatever comes out, what comes to mind is the wonderful Michael Price record that Bill Sample and I Yeah, those intros. Yeah, those intros where my guitar was playing. That just happened right there on the session. No kidding. That's some fantastic work, too. Wow. Wow. So you've been all over the world playing music. Are there places that you visited that you just love more than others? What are some of your favorite places to visit and perform? Yeah, that I won't be the first musician you hear say this, I'm sure. But Japan. Yeah. No. My first time in Japan was 1974 with the Crusaders. Uh-huh. And then after that. I'm going back next in June. Okay. For another trip to Japan. Yeah, the culture, they treat the artists very respect. Yeah. Everything runs on time. Yeah. Have you heard that? Yeah, yeah. And I appreciate the efficiency. And I've often said it, I think the Japanese audience is the most loyal yeah. audience in the world. Yeah. Once they embraced my artistry, I could go back and they didn't care if I had a new album or doing that well. Yeah. They just wanted to watch me hear me play the guitar. Yeah. Now, yeah. I Interesting. I heard that same thing from your former bandmate, Bob James. And uh-huh. I, I remember one of the things, that, I remember him saying one of the things, he said, the audiences in Japan, it seemed like they hung onto every note that was played and yeah. were just totally into it. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So... Do you have hobbies outside of music, or is music your hobby as well? Yeah, I know. I like fish. I okay. Have, my, home, my home is on Old Hickory Night. Okay. And yeah, that definitely is, is it. 
And I think you'll find it interesting at in this stage of my life, when I'm in home, I never played hard. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know, life goes on. Yeah. My my 100-year-old mother looked me. That's fantastic. Oh, that's a blessing. Yeah. Normal life yeah. until it's time to play. That's cool. Then I go for it. That's really cool. That's really cool. And I suppose now you, you have grandkids? Great. Yeah, so I, I got I have a sneaking suspicion that mm-hmm. the grandkids probably love hanging out with grandpa and that's probably pretty yes. important to you at this stage too. Absolutely. But real joy. Yeah, I remember growing up my father and mother were my dad was a disciplinarian military guy, right? A lot of love in our household, mm-hmm. right? But I saw this mm-hmm. complete trans- transformation in my parents when grandkids came into the picture, right? Like the grandkids yeah, always got to do things that we never got to do. You know? <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. That's fantastic. So what would you say of all of the things that you've done and that you've accomplished? Can you put your finger on something that you would say is the thing you're most proud of in your career? No. Yeah. Right, Patty. It's been such a long career now. I'm mm-hmm. just proud of the total, you know, the total yeah. accomplishments that are in there. Yeah. Yeah. What advice would you give your 13-year-old self about life, Larry? Yeah, that's a good one. I something's coming. I would remind and help every age And yes, my 13-year-old Larry, remember what your dad said when he invited mm-hmm. when he said, you're only as good as your word, son. Yeah. And that has stuck in me throughout my whole life. Yeah. You're only as good as your word. Yeah. Give your word, stick to it. Yeah. That's awesome advice. That's fantastic advice. Well, let's, we got time to listen to one more song. This one was another huge hit for you. Let's take a listen to Smiles and Smiles to Go.
All right, everybody, that was the great Larry Carlson again with his big hit, Smiles and Smiles to Go. So, Larry, I have a, a few questions I'd love to ask all of our artists that, that we have the pleasure of talking with. So, one, is there something your fans would be surprised to learn about you? Wait, don't, wait, so nothing comes to mind, Carl, right? Okay. Right, second, uh, right. Okay. This one, I'm really looking forward to hearing your answer on this one. Can one. you pinpoint your three favorite albums of all time? That would be Choices Today, you know, it mm-hmm. would be different yesterday, but most, yeah, definitely Balance by John Coltrane, Blue by Johnny Mitchell. Mm-hmm. I can only think of two real favorites okay. right now. Okay, that's cool, that's cool. Those are two pretty good ones there, though. Those are two pretty good ones. <laughs> and then, all right, you're having a dinner party, Larry. You can invite any three people to be at your dinner party, living or deceased. Who's coming to your dinner party and what's on the menu? Well, back that my belt. Don't know about the menu, but yeah, three for dinner party, Coltrane. Uh huh. Just to be in his presence for now would be cool. Yeah. Again, he seems like a very humble and intense guy. And also, always said, I wish I could play one Gene White Kiner. Oh, yeah. Not, wow. Not that I warrant it, but I would love to just play one Gene with him because I've listened to he and he both so many for my youth. And then I mean, probably bless my comrade. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. That'd be pretty cool. Is there anybody else out there that you've uh, not collaborated with yet that you would like to collaborate with? I don't think. Certainly, my collaboration here is probably. Coming to an end, just enjoying doing what life allows me to do. Yeah. Wait for my holiday. Yeah. And then be with the thing. That is super cool. So we're excited about having you at our Fresh Coast Jazz Festival in in August. And what can the audience expect from you and Paul Brown in August? Yeah, we've done a couple of shows together, Paul and I. It's been really fun. We're going to open the show together. Uh-huh. Play at least three tunes. Then I'm going to go away and let Paul do about 30 minutes or so of his skits. Then I'll come back out. And what I'd like to do is I share some stories. Cool. And play some Crusader and Stewie Dan music for I was known for. Awesome. And the audience is, yeah, everybody's been really digging that part. That's cool. So, yeah, they'll hear me play some of my famous solos from Stewie Dan and some songs that I played on from the Crusaders. That's a Sitch Piece band. We got the two horns, so we really get that Crusaders sound. Awesome. That's going to be a lot of fun. That's going to be a lot of fun. So, what does the rest of the year hold for you, Larry? <laughs> what else you got going on? Well, it's this point I'm outing way back on touring. So, maybe one or two concerts a month. Okay. Yeah, and just enjoying being healthy at the same. Yeah, no doubt. Well, good. Well, I got to tell you, it is such an honor to have you take time out of your vacation to talk to us today. Really enjoyed the conversation. Can't wait to get a chance to meet you in person and have you perform at our festival. And really want to thank you for blessing all of us with so much great music over the years and taking time to spend with us today, man. Pleasure, Carl. Really, buddy. You did a great job. I enjoyed it. Good. Well, thank you again, Larry. All right. And we'll see you in August. 
Yeah. All right, everybody. That was the great Larry Carlton. And be sure to come to the 2023 Fresh Coast Jazz Festival. You'll get to see Larry perform with his buddy Paul Brown. You'll also get to see performances by Julian Vaughn, Rick Braun, Lindsey Webster, Lynn Roundtree, and Ollie Silk, and Jeff Ryan. Tickets can be found now at freshcoastjazz.com. That's our show for this week. Be sure to check out our website, freshcoastjazz.com, to sign up for our email list so you can stay up on what's going on with contemporary jazz. We'll see you next time on Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage. Backstage.